Welcome to the weekly podcast all about turning the great American RV adventure into stress-less camping. Each week, we explore tips, tricks, ideas, and destinations, and talk to the happiest campers in the RV world. Pull up a seat at the campfire as we enjoy some stress-less camping. Welcome to the campfire. We are two RV industry veterans who travel part-time in a small trailer, looking to share big adventures and help you with great tips, tricks, and discounts. And speaking of that... Speaking of that, you know, last week we talked about those stove knob covers, and I said, I'll get those on the wish list on Amazon for you. And when I did that, I started looking at that list again. It's a good list. It really is. (laughs) You guys should really check it out. And I also noticed that because we have some you know, personal wish lists and stuff. Walkie talkies were in our personal list, which is silly because they are completely RV basics. So check out if you haven't recently, our Amazon will put a link in the show notes to our RV basics list. And it has things like walkie talkies and stove knob covers and those electronic locks that you can replace your door lock with. Yeah, those are good. Did you know... If you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you will already be in the know. But the locks that you very likely have on the baggage doors of your RV are opened with the same key as pretty much every other baggage door on every other RV in the RV park. So uh, we replaced ours with combination locks and we also replaced our door handle to get into the RV with a combination lock. that... If you lose both keys to the door of the RV, (laughs) you have to replace the lock. (laughs) Well, you could in theory fix it, but I just drilled it out and replaced it. After we lost, after I lost the second set of keys, Tony put in the electronic lock so that we have a code now that we can push and we don't have to worry about losing keys again. And then... He found the first set of keys in the washing machine. I did. That was the <laughs> oddest thing. But, you know, we're all set. Like we have a backup to our backup, That's I guess. That's right. And an RV door handle with the drilled out lock, which right. was surprisingly easy to do. <laughs> so you can check that out on our YouTube videos. Check out our RV basics list on Amazon and do some shopping because, you know, who doesn't like to go shopping? Right? Yeah. <laughs> but walkie-talkies also were on the list, and we use them all the time. I'm a, I'm a nut about what well, I'm a nut anyway, but <laughs> I'm a nut for walkie-talkies because they're great for backing in, so you're not screaming at each other, and they're great for, hey, I'm going to go over here in the campground, and you can keep in touch and such. So Yep, and they were great when we went social distancing Social distance visiting to Yosemite with another couple, but they took their own car. So we gave them one of our walkie talkies and they led us through Yosemite and gave us a guided tour via walkie talkie. It was a walkie tour. (laughs) Yeah, walkie talkies are a good thing to have. I know it's kind of like, you know, some of us remember when we were kids having walkie talkies, but doggone it, they're just as cool now just as fun yeah. at least to me as they ever were <laughs> and they're very very handy for as tony said backing in is really handy because it's hard to you know kind of see and kind of hard to hear and so the walkie talkies just make it so we're not screaming at each other the whole campground doesn't know what 
who's back and where. <laughs> <laughs> Although hand signals are also good, but another yeah, thing, I mean, but when, you don't want to do some of those hand signals in front of families either. No, that's true. Some <laughs> of them take offense to some of that gestures. And also when one person's going in to check in at a campsite, then you can use walkie talkies to stay in touch. Like what if you have to move your RV or what's the license number? I forgot to bring it in. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. Although here's another pro tip for you. Speaking of license numbers, (laughs) we took pictures of all the license plates on all of our vehicles and they're just tagged in. We use iPhones. So they're tagged in Apple photos as license. And when we are somewhere where they're like, what's your license? We just pull it up on our phones. Yep. That's very handy. Yeah. Another little tip for you. See where, we're all full of tips, tricks. Yeah. And what about discounts? And discounts. Boy, you should check out our discount page on our website. Our website, we have a page of discounts and deals that we have negotiated with manufacturers and suppliers and such. They're all products or services that we either regularly use or plan to use. For example, we have yet to buy lithium batteries, but I know whose batteries I'm going to buy when I do. So things like that. They're products that we stand behind and like very much. So we work with these manufacturers to get discounts for you. And you can find that on our website. And it says discounts and deals right when you go to the homepage. Yep. Go check those out. Yeah, man. Save yourself some money while uh, we're spending your money. One of the ways that you don't want to spend your money is on rotten food. So we spoke with a guest who has been with us twice and now on his third visit here. Josh Winters, Josh the RV nerd from Halid RV of Coldwater, Michigan. And we're talking about trends in RV refrigeration. And you're like, well, that's kind of boring. But no, actually. (laughs) It was actually not very boring. No, it's pretty interesting and can really make a difference in your RV experience. So without any further ado, or I don't, Mm -hmm. here we go. We have a trifecta guest with us. This is his third time on the Stressless Camping Podcast. That's right. People always are really happy when Josh is here. He's a very popular guest, so... Without any further ado, it is my pleasure to bring back my good friend, Josh, the RV nerd, Josh Winters from Halid RV in Coldwater, Michigan. Welcome, Josh. Hey, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me again. Thanks for joining us again. You're one of the coolest guys I know, so this topic is appropriate. Oh, hang on. You you don't get out much, do you, Tony? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, not lately. (laughs) And when I am out, I'm far away and by myself. (laughs) At least six feet away, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) We are talking RV refrigerators, and we have talked about this subject before with Roger Ford from Ford's RV Refrigeration, who has developed a lot of the training materials and repair techniques for the typical gas absorption refrigerator that you find in the vast majority of RVs out there. It's extremely common. But this is different. This is the various types of fridges that you are likely to find in an RV and why it matters and what might interest you and what might serve you best or worst. So we're going to start with what is in probably the 
absolute vast majority of RVs out there, and that's what they call a gas absorption refrigerator. And the way that basically works is there's a container of ammonia that gets heated up somehow and rises, expands, cools, and that's what provides the cooling for your refrigerator. The plus of that is it's a very simple, no moving parts product. So it's simple, it's durable. Like you said, no moving parts, it's hard to bust it. Unless you break one of those tubes, which is possible but not likely, it's pretty simple. And the reason that these get used in RVs a lot is one, because of the simplicity of them. But to heat that ammonia gas, you can use a propane fire. You can use a 110 volt electrical heater. You can use a 12 volt heater, which is less common. So that's the somehow that he mentioned a moment ago. When he said the gas gets heated up somehow, it's right. not just a magical thing that nobody understands. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very well understood. And that's one of the advantages of it. So if you're off grid, if you're boondocking or you don't have connection to shore power, you can use your propane in your trailer or in your RV to heat this solution, which then causes it to cool your refrigerator. Right. And it's simple. It's quiet. There are no moving parts, as I mentioned. It's dead silent other than if you can hear the propane fire or the igniter, then you've got dog hearing. <laughs> <laughs> once you once those things do start it's almost like white noise like well it's like when your ac compressor kicks off and all of a sudden you're like oh it's okay that it's much quieter in here now right and you got to be listening for it they are quiet for sure and another advantage of them is you know you look at just about any rv out there and you see those vents on the side of the rv where the refrigerator is they vent the heat because any change of temperature device typically has a hot side and a cold side so these Gas absorption fridges have a place to exhaust the heat. An air conditioner blows it out the top of the trailer where you have the exhaust for your air conditioner. And so these gas absorption fridges exhaust the heat to the outside of the coach. And in summer, where every degree may make a difference, that's a plus too. RV repair shops have these suckers down to a science. I mean, to repair them if it's ever even necessary. I found the control boards are really the biggest thing that we ever worked on. In two years of warranty service, I think we replaced two fridges and that's saying a lot. Yeah, a full fridge replacement on anything new for a two-way fridge like that, it's super rare. I don't have the hard numbers in front of me, but a big box like that tends to stick out in the parts room. Like you said, with 1,200 campers a year rolling through our place and even the off-the-street service work, you really just don't see that many of them. Like you said, maybe two, three a year out of even our shop. Yeah, they don't break. They're pretty simple. What I had to do a lot of warranty claims on was the control board, but that's literally a 10-minute repair. You can get that part over the phone customer shows up, you can get them repaired and get them back on the road very quickly and very easily in a case like that. And even then it wasn't very common. So they're pretty bulletproof. The disadvantage is you are burning propane. No, it's very efficient, but you still have a flame there. So one of the common things is people want to tow their RV with the refrigerator on, and that could be a problem if something happens to the propane system and you've got gas running out. And also, if you pull into a filling station and you have that open flame, that can be a problem. It can be. That's one of those things I think is theoretically very possible. And I know that there are instances, there may be a listener listening to this that has had a two-way 
fridge fire. I mean, that's unfortunately possible. It is also about as common as a lightning strike, thankfully. I think the reason that it's so spooky is just that if an RV does catch fire, it's going to go pretty fast. It's very flammable. And if it happens to do that in a gas station, then you've got big, big problems. I mean, just stepping aside from the fridge conversation for a second, anybody listening to this, if there's any sort of fire in your RV, please don't be a hero. Don't try to get that little fire extinguisher. Use that just enough to get you, your family, your dog, whatever, out, and then just step back. It's going to happen, and it's better that you just don't get near it. That's just a little PSA from your old Uncle Josh. <laughs> we talked to the folks from Protang, which make fire suppression systems for RVs, and we'll put a link to that, but there's some neat stuff. And that's pretty much what Todd said, too, is just get, get out. use it to get out and then get out. So you know what I'm trained on? I'm trained on how to look at an RV and understand it. You know what I'm not trained on? fighting fires right <laughs> well unless you've got a heck of a fire suppression system you know like a fire truck and even then it's not going to happen just you're right get out yeah the last disadvantage of these gas absorption fridges is the rv has to be almost completely level within three degrees you ideally want the rv level so that your stuff isn't sliding off your table anyway <laughs> and the blood doesn't rush to your head when you're trying yeah. to sleep <laughs> that phone in your pocket if it doesn't already have it you can get a free bubble level app on it that is yep. net level accurate it's not like your phone just does an okay job you know the days where like your phone took an okay picture those are done your phone is a nearly flawless bubble level certainly with three degrees of accurate yeah probably closer to a thousandth of one degree it's amazing and what i do when we level the trailer we have bubble levels on it so you get a pretty good idea of where you are and then i go and open the refrigerator because that's what has to be level the most i guess and put the phone on a shelf and it's a fantastic leveling tool yeah and i'm always up for the cost of free right. Yeah, yeah right i mean we have the phone anyway so you might as well it also has a uh, in an article i wrote this week about tools i said you may bring a tape measure with you but iPhone at least has one built right in. Actually, I use that all the time when someone's like, hey, what's the measurement in this toy hauler? Hold on, let me get my phone. (laughs) (laughs) And you pretty much always carry that thing with you. You know, you may not carry a tape measure or a level in your pocket, but everybody always has their phone in their pocket. Well, I tell you what, if you ever want to get a lot done at work one day, just forget your phone at home, but don't realize it. (laughs) Oh, so productive. And then the moment you slap that front pocket and the phone's gone, heart attack. (laughs) Yeah, that thing, it's amazing. I lost my AirPods on our most recent camping trip, and even that's traumatic. Oh, bummer, dude. I know, right? That means I'm going to have to get AirPods Pro. But anyway, that's another. The kind of good news is the truck is cleaned out. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) I looked really hard for those AirPods today. (laughs) Yeah, that's odd. I, I use them to listen to podcasts. So there we go, gas absorption fridge. Chances are that's what you're going to have in your RV. And there's lots of questions about them, but they're basically a great thing. I want to throw one thing in the two-way fridges there because you talked a whole lot about the gas side. But if you look at them, they have an auto and a gas mode. And you can tell it, no, just use gas. And when you flip it to auto, it'll always check for 110 electric park power generator power first. And if it's available, it'll use that. If it's not, it'll change over. This is probably not news to most people. But something I think we'll probably touch back on in a little bit here is how different refrigerators work in different climates and temperatures, which is a very important factor to consider when you're making a purchase. Something people don't realize is just because the fridge has two modes doesn't mean they work equally well. The gas 
side, if you have it cooling on gas, it cools significantly better, faster, more efficiently. It's no different than a gas clothes dryer versus an electric. It's no different than gas versus electric heating. Propane, natural gas, something like that, it burns hotter, faster, better, cleaner, and will do a better job more quickly. The only caveat there is it's, you know, it's a limited resource, but again, refrigerators sip propane to the tune of one of my salesmen dry camps exclusively dry camps a ton. He goes through maybe one 30 pound propane tank per year and he's got a 32 foot trailer. So unless you're burning, the furnace is the only thing that really taxes the propane. You'll dry camp so much off your existing propane. You can cook like crazy. You can run your water heater. You're just not going to be swapping tanks with any level of frequency. It's very efficient and propane has a lot of energy in it. Petroleum based fuels just carry a lot of energy. That's why you can have a little fuel tank and go 450 50 miles in a car or a giant set of batteries and go 150 miles. Liquid fuel has a tremendous amount of energy built into it. That's a good comparison with the cars. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because if you're using 110 to heat your refrigerator, changing temperatures with electricity is not that efficient. It's not like a toaster, you know? It's a big (laughs) thing. It's not a little toaster. If you're going to leave tomorrow, you want to plug into electric tonight, it'll be cold when you wake up in the morning. Aces. If you want to wake up in the morning and hit the road, you got an hour or two before you leave. You better flip it on propane. Or if it's screaming hot outside, flip it off of auto, put it on gas. And that will help tremendously. That's a thing I don't think a lot of people consider on two-way fridges. Well, another thing, speaking of flipping it to gas, let's say you you take a six-hour drive with your RV and you didn't run the refrigerator while you're driving, which is, I think, preferable, but that's a whole nother debate. So let's yeah. say you didn't run the refrigerator. You get to the campsite. It's hot as blue blazes because it's summer and you plug your 30-amp cord in and now you're going to kick on the air conditioner and... The refrigerator now says, whoopee, there's 110. So the refrigerator kicks in with its straw. And then you're like, oh, I better heat up the water. You could blow the circuit on the 30 amp. So that's another reason to switch over to propane or gas on your two-way fridge. On your refrigerator just to avoid using that extra electricity when you're trying to use it on a lot of other things. Right. That's really key advice in like peak camping season too. Like when the campgrounds start getting rolling brownouts. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Try to tell your neighbors, hey, kick your fridge over to propane if you can, and it will save everybody a lot of headache, a lot of a pop, you know, pop breakers. Yeah, it's amazing how many people say, well, I don't want to use my propane. But as you said, a bottle of propane goes a long way if it's predominantly just heating a refrigerator or cooling a refrigerator. It's insanely cheap. Like if you look at cost per hour versus electric metered, it's absurdly less expensive. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Again, stored energy. Since there's no compressor and no blower, really, it does take a good long while to chill a absorption refrigerator. One of the tricks that we've found is we have a little Camco battery-powered fan in ours, and that helps. And we have an article about how to chill your RV's chill box, which I'll put a link to, tips to cool it down a little bit faster. Yeah, even a couple little like computer fans here and there. Some of the criticism that I've heard on the two-way fridges is, well, if they need the fans, then why don't the manufacturers include Well, not everybody needs them. Something I've really noticed because our, like my videos go out nationally, your podcast go out nationally, but people sometimes forget that not everybody camps like them. Right. I totally acknowledge the person in Texas camps different than I do in Michigan. I 100% acknowledge and understand that. So they may have different wants, different needs, different preferences. 
Maybe they need that extra airflow. I don't. Now, it can get hot up in Michigan. It just doesn't tend to stay there as long as any other place, you know. We don't get a sustained heat. We'll get a week of like, oof, that was 106 every day. But it doesn't stay there long term. So you can limp through it a little bit. It's little mods like that. Like my car has a little mount where I can set my phone up on the dash that I bought and put on there. It's like saying, well, why doesn't every car have a, a phone mount dash? Well, not every car needs one. That's my preference. That's right, my th- right. And they can't build a camper that fits every single person in every single region with every single camping style. So if you have a specific need for your specific camping style, it's not unreasonable to expect a very low dollar thing like a computer fan add-on and plugged into a wall socket that's already there. That's a reasonable expectation, I think, if you're getting into something. Yeah, yeah this Camco RV fridge fan was inexpensive and it uses two d-cell batteries and they last like they last four or five six days straight straight running that's with rechargeable batteries is what we use so we put it in and when we leave when we come home we take the batteries out and recharge them and they last on our long summer trips they last at least half of the trip and there's other systems that you can get that don't even require exchangeable batteries. There's there's just simple things sure. that you can just hook up somewhere inside that back of the refrigerator housing just to get that airflow going. It's just not a hard thing. I think it's because people don't understand it, so they fear it, so they draw away from it. Yeah. And that's where things like YouTube are your friend. You can watch people like me who are complete idiots with tools do this stuff in less than <laughs> 10 Like people are afraid of stuff, but they're very afraid to even on their own try to learn about it sometimes so the folks listening to this i i definitely applaud you for that try out some stuff and look at the various we have a bunch of articles and, and all of that as well so i'll put links to the relevant ones now let's move on to residential fridges because i know when i was selling rvs especially in the higher end fifth wheels and such people would ask can i get this with the residential refrigerator and yes some rvs are available with them and the big advantage of them is they have been available in larger sizes. Yeah, they cost less per cubic foot versus a two-way. They cool faster because now they're an active cooling system versus a two-way fridge. And I was trying to explain that to someone earlier, and I think I actually came up with something off the top of my head that helps understand that because residential refrigerators and 12-volt compressor fridges, they have that active compressor cooling and they cool much faster. What does that mean? How does that change? It's the difference between, think, a radiant heat system and a forced air heat system. And it suddenly made a lot of sense. That's a good analogy. If you just take something hot and set it in the room, It will spill heat into the room and eventually more of that heat will dissipate into the room and equalize some temperature. Now, you take something hot and you blow a fan across it and push that hot air through the room and it will heat the room a lot more quickly. Right. Now, instead of heat, what if I said cooling? So a absorption fridge is that passive, it just kind of eventually cools everything. Once it's down to temp, it's usually pretty okay, but you got to get it there first. Whereas a residential fridge and a compressor fridge, they're active cooling systems and they will cool twice as fast. I've seen some testing where it looks like these Furions on the 12 volt side will actually cool like up to four times faster. Yeah. They are. Now on the residential fridges, are they all like the size that we have in the kitchen? And that's one of the main advantages or are there residential style refrigerators that are as small as the RV refrigerator that fit 
in a smaller unit. I've seen in vintage builds a lot, people take bar fridges or the small, small residential fridges and put them in there. Like the one I had in my studio apartment? Yeah. There's a hundred different shapes and size of homes and kitchens and cabinets. So yeah. there's a hundred different shapes and size of refrigerators, but there's only one or two that will consistently fit into an RV because they had to adapt residential fridge sizing to what was roughly available in terms of the floor plan space. Like before residential fridges were even in like towable RVs, you had things like a big four-door 12 cubic foot fridge. Well, that basically determined the rough width and height that a residential fridge could go into that space. Mm -hmm. It costs a lot of money. It's very inconvenient for RV manufacturers to completely restructure a slide or a wall or something or re-engineer something just to fit a new refrigerator. That's a big deal. That costs a ton of engineering money because they have to make sure if they make one change, it doesn't throw all the geometry out of whack. It's a big deal. So typically the residential refrigerators that are in RVs tend to be what are often referred to as countertop depth refrigerators, not the same giant fridge, say that I have in my living room. They are a shallower, sometimes shorter version of that. They kind of operate the same, but they're a little bit of a shrunken size and they come in all kinds of sizes. You know, there's the 11 cubic foot residential refrigerators. There's, I've seen 14s, 18s, 21s. They're all kinds of different sizes. 18 seems to have been the one that kind of has taken over in the big fifth wheel sector. Those are those double door, sometimes French door refrigerators. And so is Mm -hmm. the fifth wheel designed to use that refrigerator or does it just happen that the residential refrigerator will fit in the space that was designed for an RV fridge in the first place? Well, this is one of those things. I really encourage people to look into this and to get a little more info and form their own opinions because I know what I know. I've been doing this for a long time. I also know what I've heard different people say within the industry. So this can very quickly boil down to a he said, she said. But generally speaking, the residential refrigerators used in the RV industry when they say they're designed for RV use, it basically refers to the size of the fridge and not the components, not the hardware. They're not typically designed for mobile use applications. They're not designed to be bounced around. Now, I had a video come out recently that for anyone watching, this might be a bit of the elephant in the room, but um, (laughs) I wish I had actually prefaced that by saying 99% of the conversation that we are having on this podcast right now relates to towable RVs. When you are in a diesel pusher with an air ride system, I don't worry about a residential refrigerator because, frankly, it's probably less violent in there than it is when I walk across my kitchen floor. Hmm. The amount of money and engineering that goes into that is completely different. But we're talking a massive difference between a $330,000 diesel pusher and a $60,000 fifth wheel. Right. There's significant differences there. I know that there's nice road armor and more ride suspensions and Equiflex and all this other stuff. It's not the same as like what you might be riding around in on a diesel pusher. Yeah. So, but I was actually asking the other direction. Do RV manufacturers design RVs to hold a residential refrigerator or do they design them with RV fridges and then they decide to substitute with a residential refrigerator? It used to be they had the RV design, generally speaking, with a two-way fridge in mind of some size, 812, 18 cubic foot, it depends. And then very often you could substitute in a residential refrigerator. Resi fridges have proven very popular in big RVs. And most of your 
I would call it like upscale premier series fifth wheels have adopted the residential fridge as the standard fridge now. Mm. I feel largely due to the fact that it is significantly less expensive and it is somewhat expensive to get into RVing for sure. Whether it's a payment basis or I'm just writing a check for it, there's a cheaper thing I could do this weekend, but it's because it's a long-term concept that you're buying into here. But this is an industry that when you're making design decisions from the product standpoint, brand managers, they watch things down to, can I save four cents? The margins are that tight. So when a residential refrigerator could be $800 or $1,200, depending on the size, cheaper than a two-way fridge, that seems very attractive to them. They can reinvest that money in other areas that a customer can see it while also saying, but look at the larger refrigerator that I have for you now. Well, and they don't have to plumb propane to it. It's a simpler plumbing job in the propane department. I don't know how many brands are not at all plumbing a gas line into that area because there are some companies like, let's say, Well, recently Eagle. Eagle recently standardized a residential refrigerator and all the full Eagle non-HT things from Jayco, but they still offer a two-way fridge. It is actually, generally speaking, simpler, easier from a manufacturer to always run the same plumbing and then just pop a different fridge in. Uh Yeah. I could see some brands that being the cost of the two-way fridge, but I don't believe that's how it's typically done. When people were shopping for higher-end RVs, they would be surprised when there was still an absorption fridge in it. They would, what? Oh, I I wanted a residential fridge. And that goes back to what are you using it for? Because some of the really large travel trailers and fifth wheels go somewhere and stay there. Yeah. And maybe if they go, if they move again in six months, eight months, a year, it's, you know, from cold to hot or whatever. So sometimes these larger RVs just don't travel as much as our little 19-foot travel trailer. So they don't care as much about the ability to move safely. Yeah, if it's going to be parked, if it's going to be used more seasonally, I think that is one, this is a personal view. Everyone, please form your own opinions on this, but that's one of the few times I think a residential fridge is a really solid application. Even then, we've had some service challenges with them, um, even just on short trips. And I know there are plenty of people listening who well, I've had a residential fridge for four years and I've towed a different coast. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I'm super, super happy for you. I never want, I never want anyone to have a failure. I just know what we have found through our tracking of our service records at Haylet RV that if you're going to be towing with any level of frequency, residential refrigerators tend to come into the shop more. And when you go down, you go down really hard. Yeah, because the perception is whatever brand fridge you have in their residential fridge, you figure, well, I'm going to call the lonely repairman and he's going to come out and fix my refrigerator. (laughs) No, they will not. At least not in my experience. The local home refrigerator repairman, when he finds out that it's in an RV, they're, nope, I, I don't work on those. So then what do you do in that case? Well, one of the options is to take the refrigerator out. Which book? warranty yeah and it doesn't go through the door no it no longer fits through the door so now you are paying for a slide room to come out or the windshield in a big class a diesel pusher might have to come out there's going to be a lot of work in getting that refrigerator out so it can be worked on yeah and like sometimes it can be quote just a window but (laughs) (laughs) 
I loathe the idea of breaking existing viable seals to pull out a defective component just to have to put them back in. You're introducing more opportunities for human error in here. And anytime I can avoid that, I'm happier camper. Ideally, you don't want any of this to happen, but that's part of the reason I'm I'm not personally always a fan of these, but we've talked a lot about that. I do always want to try to be fair. One of the good things about a residential fridge, like I said, they do cool much faster. We talked about that. If you're going to be in an insanely hot, humid climate, they are generally able to keep up better. But that's why I wanted to circle back to taking a two-way fridge, flipping it to gas mode, adding a couple insanely cheap little fans, and there you go. And as a side benefit, if your generator dies, if your park loses power, or if just half the fridge goes down for some reason, you have a backup plan with those two-way fridges that can help you limp through a weekend. Right. You know, with a one-source fridge, when it goes down... You better be buying ice and throwing your meat in the cooler. And planning for a long repair process. And now there are larger two-way fridges, too. There are decent size. I've seen four-door gas absorption refrigerators. Yeah, 12 cubic foot and 18 cubic foot. And I maintain had those 18 cubic foot fridges come into the market sooner, I don't believe we would see the prevalence of residential fridge that we see today. But that's neither here nor there. Oh, that's a good point, though. Yeah. Yeah. And they're nice. Those 18 cubic foot gas absorption refrigerators are nice. We actually, especially in fifth wheels, we've been 99% at this point for general inventory stock. Like we'd be happy to get anything anybody wants at their request. It is your money. It is your preference. We'll do whatever you want. But for general inventory, we stock exclusively gas electric or 12 volt fridges currently. I mean, you know, Montana's North Point's Pinnacle Steagles, all these big things with these big fridges. We don't have customers reporting fridge issues. I mean, by cooling, we don't have people saying, well, my stuff isn't staying cold. It's easy to say, well, you're a Midwestern dealer. Well, no, I live in the Midwest. That doesn't mean that's where my customers live. We sell nationally. Last Saturday, we had people in the store at the same time from New York, Texas, California, North Carolina. Wow. It gets pretty hot in there. And they were all comparing notes like, oh, wow, you guys aren't from around here. (laughs) Son, you're not from around here, are you? (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah. And we have people camping from any state in the nation and the fridges seem to work fine when people are trained on them properly. And I think that maybe that's something that is a little bit lacking in the industry as a whole is helping customers understand their RVs. I will also state a little bit, there's a lot of people that don't want to learn anything about it. They're afraid of it. They just want you to do it. And they, they, they just want you to, isn't that warranty? Isn't everything warranty? Well, everything's not warranty. You do need to learn about your thing a little bit. We were camping, was it two weeks? ago at the state park and it was hot it was just ridiculously hot over a hundred the whole time we were there and our refrigerator which is you know typical two-way rv refrigerator it did fine the beer was Mm -hmm. plenty cold i had no (laughs) complaints priorities right i mean yeah i kept the meat and cheese cold too but And part of that is also maintenance. I take those vents off on the back of the refrigerator now and then and vacuum the thing out so it's clean in there. I mean, that's another factor. It's kind of like you'll hear people say their air conditioner, the fins need to get combed out, exact same thing. And if anyone doesn't understand what that means, so your vehicle has an exhaust pipe, right? Imagine if it started to build up like with arterial plaque like your heart. (laughs) If you start plugging up your exhaust pipe, your engine stops working properly. If you keep your exhaust pipe clear, your engine works properly. 
exact same thing on the back of a fridge and on the back of an air conditioner on an RV. Those exact same principles apply. And they are an attractant for bugs and such. They love wasps yeah. and mud daubers and all kinds of flying things like it in there. So keeping that clean helps it as well. So like I said, it was over 100 degrees and everything stayed nice and cold and we were off grid. So how long was that? How long of a trip? Oh, we were just there for two days. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. three days? Two days. Three days. Three days. I was just kind of curious on the time frame of that. You know, it wasn't just like a one day stay over. It's like you had exposed long term time. Yeah. Work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Full yeah. RV had time to equalize and your fridge kept up just fine and triple digit constant weather. Yeah, it was miserable for humans. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and in that case, I ran my two generators. I have two little 2,000-watt generators, and I had the refrigerator on propane, so I wouldn't use gasoline. Yeah. So I was using gas and gas. <laughs> Imagine that. So one of the other disadvantages of a residential fridge, from my perspective, is it has to exhaust the heat into the coach of the RV. Right. But an advantage is there's not a hole in the outside of the RV, which is a another potential failure point yes and no we talked about the servicing of residential refrigerators a good example here is jaco specifically which brand of these i think it's whirlpool i can't remember if it's whirlpool yeah, or they're samsung. mostly all whirlpool from what i've seen yeah i think it is some are samsung though jaco struck a deal with their resi fridge supplier that said we are going to put an access panel for servicing in the back of all of our rvs you we have an agreement if a whirlpool tech shows up they will work on that thing without dislodging it so that because we are not the only dealer who has reported the kind of challenges that we faced to our manufacturers we are not alone in this it's not we are just the first one to apparently kind of speak up a little bit loudly which that's fine i've been the first guy to peek my head out of the foxhole before <laughs> that is one nice thing that at least jaco is doing and as dumb as it sounds the little bit of cost of adding an extra baggage door there it's like it's cool that they're doing that but like almost nobody is the one hiccup there is it doesn't overcome the situation of what if the fridge needs a full replacement? Because in my experience, very like you mentioned on an RV fridge, maybe it's a circuit board or a control board or something, but usually it can be wrenched on, put back together, got back on the road in a reasonable time frame. I think a residential fridge, usually the guy shows up after you wait a couple of days for the repair guy to show up he goes yeah i gotta order parts so i I can die okay isn't that why you're here but okay do what you gotta do and he says it's monday i'll be there wednesday finally next tuesday (laughs) we get a call back and i get it that they're busy too i respect that but we have customers with expectations that we're relaying based on what he told us yeah and then he goes oh yep i got the part i diagged it it needs replaced well okay so now we're gonna go through this whole process again but now comes the, oh God, how do we get it out the door? Most resi fridges cannot, the big ones in the big fifth wheel type stuff, they just generally cannot go out the door. If you've ever toured an RV production facility, you'd see why. When you watch a house get built, you watch the sticks go up, you watch the drywall, you know, the wiring. And it's like, you know, it's built from the outside in. That makes sense, right? Yeah. RVs are the opposite. Chassis goes down, floor goes down. All the inside stuff is just set on the middle of the floor, then the walls go up and then everything is hung to those walls. So if all the things like these big appliances are installed before the walls go up, that doesn't necessarily mean they can fit out of it. Right. Right. Exactly. Those are just funny little things that people don't think about. We tend to look at these things as though they're a house, but it's not a house. You're playing house, but there are still differences. (laughs) Yeah, big differences. Anyway, so that's residential fridges. I personally am not a fan. Unless... 
it's going to be a park model that sits somewhere. And then, okay, fine. Because then you've always got 110. And that's the other thing is if you have a residential refrigerator and you have any inclinations towards boondocking, you've got to find 110 volt power. And that could be a generator or a big bank of batteries and a lot of solar, whatever it is, but you're going to have to find it somewhere. Right. And if it's a generator, then you're either running the generator 24 seven or you're letting your refrigerator shut down overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Because people don't realize the power draw off those things is tremendous. Most RVs, they don't realize they're tuned to actually use very little juice. Yeah. Whereas a residential fridge, it's a power hog. And um, even the efficient ones, they're power hogs. They just totally are. If you have any boondocking inclination, you're like, oh, well, the salesman told me it had a thousand watt inverter or whatever. Okay. Well, that's going to suck your batteries dry in six hours if you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you can invert it doesn't mean it's going to keep lasting forever. Not to mention the mere presence of an inverter will tax your batteries a little more quickly than simply lacking one. A lot of people don't even realize that. But the amount of weight you incur and the amount of cost you incur for all of the hardware and batteries and panels to be able to boondock with a residential fridge is absolutely staggering. A good example, Mr. Halet's test toy Montana super solar system that has the four mega panels and the dual dragonfly batteries and all that. It could run easily residential fridges and two airs and all that stuff all at the same time. But that's a package that's probably upwards of $15,000, you know. Wow. Whereas, you know, a little generator could operate all that same stuff for a fraction of the price. But again, you're either going to run it constantly and then you have another fuel source that you're drawing from. So I think that if there's one time anyone can agree, they're really not the best solution. I think that 99% of people can agree that a resi fridge really does not fit the concept of a boondock use very well at all. It's a true square peg in a round hole. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. But what would work potentially well are some of the new 12-volt fridges that are out there. And those are awesome. They really are. Now, have these not, is this new technology or is this just newly popular technology? It's newer to the RV business. Most of things like a lot of the Furion types, it is largely kind of a makeover of the 12-volt compressor fridges that have been available in largely the marine industry for a long time. Ah. When you're on a boat in the middle of nowhere, there's no trees blocking you. You're boondocking. (laughs) (laughs) Solar becomes the thing that keeps your batteries full. Think of your batteries like a fuel tank that just holds electric, it holds lightning instead of gasoline. And it's easier to get the sun back into it when there's nothing around in the water. Well, they've got these things tuned because some days are cloudy, some days are overcast. They have them tuned to draw so little power now and actively cool. They have the same active cooling benefit as a residential refrigerator, but with none of the heavy power draw issues and none of the travel jostle gonna jiggle bang it apart kind of concerns that Tony and I seem to have. (laughs) Exactly. They're very, well, they're specifically built for a harsh environment. They offer, as you said, the advantages of a compressor-based refrigerator. They're extremely efficient. I got information from Furion and Furion stated that they're, oh, I'm looking at my notes here and I can't find it now. I think when they're actively cooling, they're generally like four and a half to five amps draw. Whereas once they're at cooling temp, I think they're about two and a half to three roughly. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it's two and a half amp hour at ambient temperature of 72 degrees is is what it says. Four amp hour if the temperature is 90 degrees. But they claim that you can run their refrigerator with an 85 amp hour battery and a 100 watt solar panel for 
over 14 days. The 100 watt solar panel, you don't have to mount that to the roof. That's not a that's not a really big complicated solar no, system. No, oh, not no. at all. You can get those a portable suitcase 100 watt solar panel off Amazon delivered to your front door in 2 days with Prime, thank you. And I can carry it with one arm. And the <laughs> other nice thing is with the portable solar panel, you can stick that thing in the sun and park your RV in the shade and that's kind of the best of all situations. And then you've got these really reliable and another advantage, they're larger inside for the same about two cubic feet more, four times faster cooling. There's no exhaust to the outside. Even the Furion one has magnetic panels on the door, so you can change the color if you change your mind. I mean, it's... That was one of the smartest things Furion did because, like, Everchill, everybody else, they have this cool stainless front on it. And don't get me wrong, it doesn't look bad, but it doesn't always look good with every decor. But Furion realized they could sell this to every manufacturer and customize it to their decor if they just change the faceplates the way the industry has done it for years. And that's... That's the thing with Furion. They do more testing. They do more thinking. They're rarely the very cheapest option out there. But I do feel that generally speaking, they are one of the best suppliers into the industry today. Yeah. Their fireplaces always have, they have an extra safety function. Their ovens have an extra function. Everything they do does one thing more than everybody else. I like the blue knobs on their stoves. (laughs) (laughs) But the other nice thing, these 12 volt fridges work at any elevation level. You don't have to worry about flame out. And the trick be on a 30 degree kick for some reason. It's going to work. Exactly. Or hot or whatever. And I mean, if I were to have the unfortunate circumstance of my gas absorption refrigerator dying, I would absolutely buy one of these 12-volt refrigerators. Too bad you can't accidentally leave this under the back tire of the truck. I mean, (laughs) not that that's how things accidentally get replaced around here, but... Like the (laughs) AirPods. (laughs) I don't know what happened, honey. It must have been under the tire, and now I need a new laptop. Yeah, I'll say this. If I were getting an RV for my personal personal use today, I would be putting one of these 12 volt compressor fridges in it. I've never seen something cool down the way that they do. Like our dealership payload RV is 58 minutes from the shipping yards. I've timed it because we've driven there more than once going for like cool on-site factory training. One of the benefits of being a local dealer they show up from the factory. So here's what happens. RV gets built and then a third party shipping company grabs it, takes it to their shipping yard until it gets dispatched, and then it gets sent up to us. So it's not actually a factory person delivering these things. So this independent person who's never even cracked the door on this camper, who's never touched it, it was nothing to do with any of the campers, shows up. And just from towing it here, just from the power coming through their truck, through the seven-way pigtail, into the trailer, no pre-cooling, they are ice cold. They are ice, ice cold inside to the tune of when it's hot and I'm doing my video tours, I'll crank them up and I'll leave the door open just to take the edge <laughs> off. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. They're terrific. So do they run whether you want them to or not? Is It like- depends on specific supplier. Some, if you turn it all the way down, will turn off. Some won't. Catalina did a really smart thing. They found that they could save a couple bucks on a 12-volt fridge that didn't have an off switch. But for way less than that couple bucks, they could add a light switch, an on-off light switch on the side of the fridge, the wood paneling beside it, and you could actively turn it off and on. And just little smart things like that sometimes. It doesn't have to cost a lot. It just has to work. So they found a way to find a fridge that works well, but had less features for less money and then for not as much money as the fridge with an integrated off switch 
build their own. So there's different ways around it. Not every company does that. Typically what I've seen with a lot of brands do is if they are going 12 volt refrigerators, regardless of the type that they have, many of them are already standardizing a 12 volt battery disconnect switch. And those are handy regardless, just so that phantom drain, say like your stereo, it doesn't turn off, it goes into standby. That refrigerator panel we talked about, it's always trickling 12 volt to monitor what kind of power is coming in. So being able to just hard turn that off is useful anyway, but to make sure that you're definitely turning off your fridge, also very useful. I've seen more and more RVs where they're starting to kind of include it. I know the big outbacks that we were stocking, they were starting to come with 12 volt fridges, but they're also had provisions for putting solar on the roof. Although I still argue, I like the portable solar panel better, but that's just me. Some people though, it is nice to just have it there. It's yeah. nice. It- it depends again on, on your specific camp. Yeah, no, those 12 volt fridges basically this year. So like the, the first one to standardize it in the industry was Wildwood with their ever chills. That was in the 2019 model year it coming into 2020, the late 2019s. It's that new. They did it standard. Freedom Express and the Liberties has been offering it optional for a couple years. So Wildwood did it. Shortly after that, Cherokee did it like across the board. They jumped right into it head first and they basically just drug the entire industry with them. But Cherokee has been doing that in so many respects. Cherokee has been driving even laminated product development, even as a stick and tin builder. So they standardize it. Catalina and their upscale started offering it optional. Now this year, it's standard in Cherokee, Wildwood, Catalina, optional in every Jayco towable from an Eagle HT down. Rockwood across the board is offering it as an option. Arctic Wolves, Cougars going to start offering it. Basically from a mid-sized fifth wheel down, anything that would have a two-door refrigerator generally has some opportunity for 12 volt fridge it is a mainstream thing that's especially in the smaller segments is really taking over as the dominant fridge where you option out of it into something else it costs less than a two-way fridge it cools better it has active cooling it doesn't have to be level it's insulated better the only downside to it is that it does not have a auto backup feature like a two-way fridge and that that makes me feel a little nervous until I start thinking, well, does the furnace in the camper have a two-way? Does <laughs> right. the right. air conditioner have a two-way? No, most things work one way, and that's fine. My house doesn't have two heating systems. My right. car doesn't. So once I, I get over, and I'm still adjusting to it, but once I let go of my security blanket of, ooh, I like my precious backup, yeah. I personally, I am just all about 12-volt development. Something cool that I re- recently found out about the time you were asking me about this, Tony, is Furion's developing a 14-point, I think, 7-cubic-foot 12-volt fridge that would fill a 12-cube two-way fridge slot so interesting four-door two-way fridge that could fit roughly an 18 cubic foot resi that's cool thing about compressor fridges they they can be size for size with residential so they are making i guess you call it a mid-size four-door 12 volt fridge and then once that's developed they're going to start working on something that could replace those 18 cubic foot either residential or two-way fridges and at that point i feel confident at that point you will watch residential fridges largely phase out of the industry. If I had a crystal ball, I would also predict that within five years, I wonder how many absorption fridges we'll see. I think very few. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. It, very. Yeah, I, I think that within five years, 
especially with things like solar are suddenly becoming much more common in mainstream and factory offered now, not just aftermarket. Right. I think in five years, we're going to start to see our first completely 12 volt campers. I think they're going to start small in that Geo Pro or the new J-Feather Micro kind of segment, the upscale small laminated segment. Yeah. And shortly after that, you're going, you're going to watch that technology continue to be adapted. And it'll be, I think, a good thing for the RV industry. Not to mention, how many times do you go to a campground? We talked about that rolling brownout. Yeah. It yeah. dramatically reduced power draw on these things, which will help everybody. Think about also how good lithium batteries are now and solar and the option for just a 12 volt basically battery powered rv or it's great the lights are now all led they're getting more and more efficient with other things and so but maybe if we take out the propane how are we going to have a campfire when i say all 12 volt i think you'll still have things like a propane furnace you'll still have a yeah. propane but it only needs enough 12 volt to light the igniter or run the the monitor panel yeah still have i think you're going to go to 12 volt and propane instead and really be able to cut the cord from a lot of 110 usage that will be a good thing well the tech exists it it exists in europe it's just very limited they can't keep up with north american supply and it's ungodly expensive yeah the european rvs are interesting they fast one of these days i want to go to caravan salon in germany hmm. the biggest rv show in the world that's one of my go-to places and solve this for you because i think you left your airpods in germany i think you're right oh that's where that's where are. my doggone airpods are <laughs> <laughs> back to the topic at hand <laughs> oh darn <laughs> There's different fridges for different purposes, and I really encourage people to try their best to try to get as much information on their own in their own local region as to which one seems to be the best in their backyard for them, or maybe a better suggestion, which fridge is the best in their intended destination. Yeah. Because that's something else people forget about is like typically you're getting an RV so you can leave. Otherwise you just stay at home. <laughs> yeah. So figure out what it's going to be like, where you're going to be at and figure out the one that works for you. You know, when in doubt a two way fridge, it'll get you done anywhere. The resi fridges I think are best left parked somewhere. If you're towing it and it's treated you well, I'm very happy for you. I know that I don't personally have the confidence for that type of situation. I think a 12 volt fridge is also, it's, it's just down to clown. It's, it's good for anywhere, anytime. Yeah. They're up and coming and they're really good. So this has been a really cool discussion. I get, (laughs) oh, where's that button? (laughs) Josh, it's always a pleasure to have you as our guest. It certainly is. We sure appreciate it. You're coming and joining us. All right, Josh, thanks again. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Everybody seems to be talking about lithium batteries for their RVs. Of course. They charge faster, last longer, weigh less, and require zero maintenance. Plus, you don't have to replace them every few years. We love Lion Energy's safe lithium batteries, and with their limited lifetime warranty, they're the last batteries you'll have to buy for your RV. Of course, we have a discount for you on our Discounts and Deals page. And you can learn more about why lithium is the way to go. So wasn't that cool? (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Where's that button? Hey, I'm chill over here. (laughs) Yeah. 
Anyway, I hope that that was really helpful to you. I learned a lot and sort of can't wait for our refrigerator to die. So <laughs> I know, that right? That's the thing. It's bowl. like, I don't want to spend twelve to $1,500 on a new fridge, but doggone it. But if we're going to have to, we're going with that new stuff. Yeah, that I think the Furion model is going to be the one we get if nothing else changes. So Right. Anyway, speaking of refrigerators and tips and all of that. Do you remember, and maybe they still say it, remember the old slogan, take nothing but photos and leave nothing but footprints? Yeah. So a lot of talk on Facebook lately has been about, you know, campgrounds and stuff where people party all night and leave their trash laying around. And we've talked about campground etiquette a little bit before, but I happened to come across an article in Camp California called The Seven Principles of leave no trace. And the seven principles of leave no trace provide a framework for minimum impact of practices of people visiting outdoors. It's sort of primarily for backpackers and hikers and people that are maybe setting up camp in places where camps aren't normally set up. But these principles are widely usable and they're useful for everybody. So we wanted to take you along this list of seven principles of leave no trace. So principle number one is to plan ahead and be prepared. And that, you know, you want to be prepared for whatever kind of weather you're going to run into. This is, of course, particularly important if you are hiking or tent camping. Knowing that a storm is coming is going to be pretty important along your hike or your tent camping trip. As we record this, there's severe weather on the East Coast. And Mm -hmm. so even in an RV, let's say there is a hurricane or whatever, you want to know where the safe place places to go in that campground or near that campground. So it's good to know the weather. You want to be prepared with the right amount and the right type of food. Again, if you're hiking, you're probably not going to carry a lot of frozen food along with you. (laughs) (laughs) If you're RVing, you know, you have a little bit more flexibility, but know what you have and what you can do and be ready and be prepared for that. If you are going to be, especially again, if you're hiking, the geography is important. You better know if there's going to be a great big hill that you're going to have to climb. But geography is also important if you're driving, because if you trust your GPS exclusively, you could get yourself into some crazy locations that you don't want to have to get out of. Including low bridges or roads that really an RV shouldn't be on, or it's good to know, kind of plan in advance and perhaps use a tool that accommodates the size of your rig and that sort of thing. There are GPSs and we'll provide a link to those that are specifically for RVs where you can plug in the dimensions of your RV and there are places you don't want to take it like the the 11 foot 8 bridge for example right although that's been raised oh whoa that's good yeah I know well it is except for the guy's YouTube channel but anyway (laughs) and part of being prepared also is to know the regulations the regulations of where you're going to be whether it's a campground or BLM land or wherever it is know what you're allowed to do and what you're not supposed to do well and even let's be honest a lot of Walmarts and those 
type of places right. are clamping down and just no longer allowing RVers because of, speaking of leave no trace, bad behavior. And mm -hmm. we've spoken before about our local Walmart in Ukiah where the city council said, no, no, no more camping there because people just abused it and yeah. trashed the place. And then business at the Walmart dropped significantly because it was sketchy to go there. Right. Again, regulations that affects we are veers and tent campers and hikers and all, all Absolutely. of us. Absolutely. And regulations, I remember reading sometime, you know, a long time ago, rules are made. They're not just made up out of the clear blue sky. Pretty much every rule came about from somebody doing something that was not okay. And so they had to make a rule about yeah, it. Yeah, don't be that guy. <laughs> don't be the one, you know, oh, this is called the Peggy rule because she's the one that did this stupid thing yeah, first. don't be that. Well, don't be the person for whom the sticker at the top of the ladder was placed. <laughs> yeah. Or the guy who, and this is actually a verifiable story, the guy who put his cruise control on on his motorhome and then went in the back to make, to I make think, tea. To make a sandwich, yeah. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Don't be that guy. Right. Number two, believe it or not, we're still on number one. <laughs> that was number one. Be prepared. Number two is travel and camp on appropriate surfaces. Tents, you know, they're pretty flexible. You can almost camp anywhere except maybe on Niagara Falls and that sort of thing. <laughs> but you'll want to know, is it slippery? Is it hard? Is Are there ants? Travel and camp on surfaces appropriate for the way you camp. So right. your RV or your tent or whatever it is. Stay, if there are roads, which there are most of the, but you know, in the BLM, in the desert, in the West, there aren't, though there are some roads, but it's kind of free for all, go wherever you want type of thing. But some places, and even in the desert, the desert's a very sensitive area, and if you decide to go off-roading and make your own trail, you are disturbing rocks and soil that haven't been disturbed and shouldn't be disturbed, and it's actually very destructive. Yeah, surfaces actually matter. I remember two years ago at Quartzsite, it was really rainy and a lot of folks were getting stuck. So there's that too. That's right. That's weather and surfaces. Yeah. Number three is kind of my pet peeve. <laughs> Don't be a jerk about your trash. Dispose of waste properly. Put the recycling in the recycle bin. Put the trash in the trash. Your mom ain't going camping with you. Take your trash and put it away. And if you happen to be out in the middle of nowhere and you're either boondocking or hiking, tent camping, something like that, we're not going to talk about all the details, but know how you're supposed to take care of your bodily wastes. Yeah, there are procedures. If you are way out in the backcountry, there are proper procedures for human waste. And, you know, you, you don't have to bring that back with you. Well, sometimes you do. Yeah, I mean, that's true. There's a burying process, but sometimes that is not desired either, and they want you to pack it out. Yep. So know what the rules and regulations are and what the practices are, and leave footprints and take pictures. Right. Don't leave your trash. And number four, don't take rocks or plants or archaeological artifacts or any objects of interest. And there are areas where it doesn't matter, but especially in areas that are sensitive already or archaeological artifacts are all oh, considered gosh. sensitive. So leave them there. For one thing, you're making a disturbance. You know, if you're taking a plant, you might accidentally take a plant disease back home with you. If you pick up rocks in the desert, you may be disturbing the desert pavement. And that desert pavement has taken thousands of years to form, and it's very important. 
and you don't want to disturb that. And archaeological artifacts, you just, you don't even want to get into that kind of trouble. <laughs> no. And recently there was a story about some people painting blue squares on the desert sandstone. I mean, come on, people. Yeah. Don't, don't be that person. You don't have to carve your name on trees or benches or right. spray paint or any of that stuff is just super duper bad yeah so, so just leave things there le- take pictures of them and leave them there for the next people to take pictures of absolutely yep you're going to nature to see it so leave it the way it was when you got there yeah or better if possible right number five is to minimize campfire impacts yeah and i think that we're probably going to come up with a whole episode about campfires and wildfires very soon but essentially know if you even need a fire like you know if you don't need one for atmosphere i get it but if you're in a place where a fire shouldn't be or you're not even supposed to have them and you don't really need it it's just for atmosphere really consider whether that's really something you should be doing there's a lot of rules about it now for example there are issues with bringing firewood from outside an area that carries with it invasive pests and that sort of stuff right but there's also restrictions in a lot of places and there have been all my life i can remember about not gathering wood so know whether you're supposed to pick up wood to burn in the area or if you're not i mean sometimes you're just not supposed to touch it right and also there is a surprising increase well not that surprising but there is a big increase in wildfires caused by campfires this year because a lot of new people don't realize you know how to minimize the campfire impact or just completely not have impact i know we live in a place that has had some horrific wildfires where well over a thousand houses have burned down or whole cities in the case Mm -hmm. of paradise and fire is kind of a scary thing so unless you're completely in control of it and know all the rules and best practices maybe it's good to just have a vision of fire on your smartphone or tablet (laughs) have that crackle noise that tony put on the ipod speaker the other day (laughs) no it was on the home pod there's a fireplace and i kept hearing a weird little noise and i thought what is going on in the living room (laughs) (laughs) i always like to see what i can do just to give peggy a hard time (laughs) that's how i roll well and in the past we had a fireplace that didn't work well and so to tony's credit he bought me little incense that was made out of typical firewood like cedar and oak and those kind of incenses so i'd have the smell of fire he found these sound effects that were the sound of fire (laughs) he wanted to get me a big screen tv and have a video of fire so that i wouldn't miss out on having a fire well we had a house that the (laughs) chimney needed severe work and so anyway speaking of being respectful wildlife gosh every year there are stories of people getting injured or even worse by wildlife and it doesn't have to be that way it does not the best way to respect wildlife is to just observe quietly from a distance from a distance take your pictures don't give them food don't leave food out for them that even if you don't intentionally give it to them you know a lot of places where there are wildlife will have bear boxes or food boxes use them don't leave food out for the wild critters to get to because you don't want them to get used to human food and then when there isn't human food what are they going to do they're going to come into town or they're going to die just give them their distance you are in their home right and so don't 
go up and you know those bison might be cute but you go up and try to pet them and you know what they say you play with a bull you get the horns <laughs> you get the horns and there's video on youtube of people getting the horns it's, it's not a pretty sight right it's not good to horn in on wildfire <laughs> <laughs> and then number seven speaking of respect be respectful be considerate of other visitors it just seems so crazy that we even have to say this, but it's true. There are people who, and I, you know, this one tears me a little bit because people have different reasons for getting out of the house and going camping. And some of them just really need a pressure relief and maybe they want to play some music and dance around and, you know, go a little crazy. And other people go there to have absolute complete silence and unless you go in the middle of absolute nowhere, there's a chance that you're going to be disturbed by someone else's behavior. And like music is so is such a reflection of your soul and your being. Right. But your music may not be what I like and I may not you may not like my music and things like that, barking dogs and just noise. Just be cool about it. I mean, yeah. That you know, I bring music with me when i go camping but usually you can't hear it at the next campsite because i don't know if you're a big fan of what i like or not right so be respectful maybe go over and ask your neighbor if they like jimmy but i mean whatever (laughs) kind of music you want to play yeah well you gotta do something (laughs) with your margarita blender on the other side of the coin if someone comes over and says I know you think you're being respectful, but that music is really annoying me. Don't be a jerk about it. Turn your music down, you know. And sure, there's maybe the quiet hour isn't until 10 o'clock, but can't we all just get along? (laughs) (laughs) You know, again, just be a good neighbor. Yeah. Like I say, the world needs a whole lot more Fred Rogers and a whole lot less Archie Bunker. Yeah. So be a Fred Rogers and not an Archie Bunker. How's that? That's good. That's a yeah. good comparison. I like it. There you go. That's what we have. That's our list. That's our fridge. I think this is going to be a long episode, and that's okay, too. Thanks for sticking around and listening all the way to the end. We appreciate it. And, of course, if you have input or ideas or questions or anything about what we talked about today or on any of these episodes, we are all over the social realm. But you can find where we are at our home base, which is StresslessCamping.com. And from there, you can jump off to all those other places. By the way, we uh, really, really appreciate the reviews. It helps other people discover. It's like shouting from the top of the hill of Apple Podcasts. Hey, come and join me over with Stressless Camping. But respectfully, before 10 p.m. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And of course, if you don't want to miss a future episode of the Stressless Camping Podcast, it's free. (laughs) It is free to subscribe on any podcast app. And, you know, we're saving a seat for you around our virtual campfire. Thank you again for joining us we hope you got some value out of this Uh, we hope you think the episode is chill and until next week happy camping we hope you learned a lot had some fun and got some tips for your next stressless camping adventure we're honored by your reviews on apple podcasts which helps others find us too don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss out on the adventure and we look forward to your joining us next week Until then, happy camping!